A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that would be through chapter 42. So we're talking about chapters 39 through 42. Hey there, this is Cross. I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. As you can hear, my co-host isn't as sick as he was last week, which is great for me so I don't have to hear his gross, raspy voice. (laughs) And you guys don't either, so, you know. Right. Feels good. Fair Fair enough. Yeah, it's still still like sickish, but you know, not like not like really sick, which is which is good news for everyone at home. So today is our eighth episode discussing the Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to be chatting about chapters thirty nine through forty two. But before we do that, PJ, what are you drinking this fine morning? So I decided to make that sort of tweaked version of the Jungle Bird that I talked about last or not last week, but several episodes A ago. Weeks ago, yeah. So one and a half ounces of rum. I'm using Appleton Estate 12 year. 0.75 ounces of Campari, an ounce and a half of pineapple juice. I upped the lime juice from half an ounce to one ounce, half an ounce of turbinado sugar. And I garnished it with a lime wedge. One, because I don't have any pineapple fronds. And two, because I wasn't sure if it needed even more lime than that. So I got that as an option to add a little bit of extra. So, yeah, I'm I'm liking it a lot better with this extra lime. I did it yeah. with like 0.75 ounces uh, a couple weeks ago, just at home. I still needed a little bit extra, so went for an ounce. I know that's kind of deviating from the point of the drink, but I like limes. So, you know what? Sue me, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Back half beer, I've got the double daisy cutter again because... It's in my fridge, and I haven't been to the liquor store in a couple weeks. So nice. It was either that That's or fair. like a bomber of something, and I didn't. Really what was that awful beer that you had last time? Awful beer. You last did not time. like Tome. Was it the Tome? This was the one. It wasn't awful. Uh, I just didn't love it. Or maybe it was the Tome. It was the Tome. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been the Tome. Because you're like, ugh, because I remember you opening it and non-verbally going like, no go, no go, in the yeah. middle of the show, and I laughed. The second one I had sure. of it, or like the next one I had of it, whatever it was, wasn't as bad. So maybe it was just like, hmm. what was on my palate already from, I don't know. Cocktail palate, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I gave it an unfair review, I think. Fair enough. So it was Fair okay. Enough. All right. Well, now anyway. that we've addressed that for Tom, <laughs> Tom, you're okay. You're still good in our books. Good's generous. <laughs> all right. All right. It's fine. <laughs> Crossland, what are you drinking? I am having a lovely Ward 8. So we're both in the red cocktail train. The reason that I have orange juice that I was drinking in the Devil's Cut that I'm still drinking as well <laughs> is because I wanted to make a Ward 8. So a Ward 8 is two and a half ounces rye. Three quarter ounces orange juice, three quarter ounce lemon juice, a bar spoon of grenadine, and generally garnished with an orange wedge. I didn't want to fully cut into my orange wedge because I only have one, so I just peeled it and gave it that expression. And right. it's delicious. I would honestly say 
I would probably tone back the rye the half ounce. Okay. Because it's, it's a little strong. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, right? But it, I just, I'm not getting what I expected the complex flavor profile to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's what I would do. Okay. I've never had good luck with orange juice in cocktails. Like, I, I've never like really perfect. liked it. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to give that a shot. Yeah. This is the perfect amount without, like, going, like, mimosa or, you know, something that's a very intentionally, like, like a screwdriver. Like, I love a screwdriver, but... See, I don't, I don't, I don't really yeah, like tequila you don't sunrises make your, either. You don't, you don't make your, you don't like tequila sunrises, which is one thing, but you don't make your screwdrivers with a little bit of Sprite. That's, that's the other yeah. thing you don't do, which is wrong. All right. A little bit of carbonation. <laughs> Fair. Goes a long way. Yeah. Otherwise, a screwdriver is literally two ingredients. That's desperation by our own standards, right? Like, yeah, just vodka and OJ. I feel like, I feel like I've added something else to it before. Hmm. I can't remember. Think on that. Back half beer. I am having a super lemon haze from Sycamore because they're delicious. And I wanted something sour adjacent that I was craving yesterday. So that's what I ended up getting because have it has you, been amazing. When was the last time you didn't have a super lemon haze on the show? <laughs> not that far. Not that long ago. Okay. But I feel like it's been several weeks. Maybe it has. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's been a lot. <laughs> I haven't gone through that much beer um, has yeah. really been the thing. I've been focusing more on making cocktails in my spare time than than kind of enjoying beer variously. So, yeah, I didn't, you know, I I didn't go through it that fast. I was going to make something with gin today, but mm. I realized I don't have more gin. Womp so womp. just like means I, you have to come visit. I just felt like I've been doing a lot of tiki stuff. A lot of rum stuff. I'm like, I should, I should mix this up a little bit, but I wanted something a little yeah. bit more voluminous anyway, just to not, not sip on super hard at 10 the in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. That's also, I was like, orange juice is like, you know, the, breakfast? the accepted, yeah, breakfasty. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to make a drink with orange juice. That was, that was my yeah. game plan here. That's fair. Cool. Well, with that, let's get into our chapters here. So we start with chapter 39 and, of course, our logbook entry. So this is the beginning of part four, Knives. Our logbook entry is, I know your argument. We speak of the anticipation of things foretold, of promises made by our greatest prophets of old. Of course, the hero of ages will fit the prophecies. He will fit them perfectly. That's the idea. This is... One that I read to you last week that we cut from the episode um, because you were so like, what, what? I thought I saw something. I thought I, and yeah, no, that was, that was the book as we later found out. But I, I really like, again, I think this is a repeat. I think this is one that came up in a different section. Not that it was with a chapter, but I think it was on yeah. the in-between. It's been, it's been mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to make of any of this anymore. Yeah. After this, after this section and like thinking more on it on what we'll get into it. I'm sure. But I, I, I'm having a hell of a time <laughs> reckoning what any of this means anymore. That's, I, I mean, I, I think know. that's a reasonable response, especially because I think Sazed and Tinwell are dealing with that too. They're like, what the mm-hmm. hell do we do with this? <laughs> right. And yeah, I have a lot to say about that section, so we'll yeah. get into it when we get there. Definitely. It's where, you know, there's there's a good amount to say in between those two characters. We spend most of this week with, I was just thinking about this, with other characters that aren't Vin. 
Yeah. Like almost all of it. We were in Vin for like a couple of pages. Yeah, because she's laid up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hurt hurting. Hurting. Injured. And damaged. Intentionally knocked unconscious for most of it. Yeah. Yeah, right. She's drugged. Sedated. For good mm-hmm. reason. She would right. absolutely have left. Given the opportunity. <laughs> she would have, yeah, she would have 100% stalked Ellen to the Kololos camp, for sure, yeah. no question, if she could have. But that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. So, my God, we start off this chapter, this entire part is started off with Straff Venture. Talk about, like, tone setting <laughs> to, like, have us immediately jump from, like, a low point with, you know, our, our team into Straff's head. And fuck that man still. But we we get to address Straff Venture and Zane kind of having this conversation back and forth about Zane sacrificing all of those mistings. And we hear inside of the internal monologue of Straff complaining about the work that it took to procure them via mistresses. And like it is the most disgusting, reviling shit. <laughs> God damn He's it, kind Straff. of a dick. Yeah. Kind of a dick. Just kind of, kind of, I don't know. Kind of a dick. He also says gambit. He he says on your gambit. He does does say gambit, which I think means we have to drink. I'm setting that rule up right now. If somebody else says one of your fucking words. It can't be interesting. Interesting does not qualify. All right. Fair enough. I think in this section, what's most surprising to me is how out of his way Zane goes to like make strategic decisions for Straff without Straff's knowledge and doesn't explain mm-hmm. them. Like, I don't understand his motivation to do that at all yet. He doesn't strike me as somebody that like wants to take initiative for Straff, like for Straff's betterment. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get it. He's pulling some strings and maybe he's like trying to, to position himself in a, in a positive way. But I don't know. It's weird to me. I can I can definitely understand that sentiment. I think that Zane finds himself at a difficult crossroads because he doesn't want to necessarily help. He doesn't know what to do. He's he's almost like indifferent to everything because he is just this like mistborn knife, you know, as he self-describes. But he resents that. Yeah. And like, why wouldn't he just leave? He could just leave, but he, he chooses not to because he doesn't have Vin. He doesn't have like a thing to live for. Yeah. It's a lot of speculation. Yeah. But... That is a lot of speculation. That's kind of based on last week more than this week's, but... Right. That's fair. I don't know. It just... It strikes... The weirdest part is that he didn't explain himself. He didn't explain what he set up. Maybe he wants to keep it all in the dark. Who knows? Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the mistresses? In general? Yeah. Well, the, the general, like, prospect of what Straff is doing to create all these mystic children and like the degree to which he went i mean we kind of already knew that not in right. yes and not in such strict terms <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it's it's gross it's really gross yeah. but i don't know i don't necessarily see it as out of character for him so i wasn't surprised by it no no definitely in character definitely yeah. <laughs> definitely in character it's, Talk, it's almost not a shock because draft sucks so bad yeah yeah 
Okay, so we move to the secret meeting that happens between Straff and Penrod about delivering the city to Straff as we expected based on what the crew was talking about kind of last week. We had kind of discussed this possibility and likelihood that this is what was going to happen. And Penrod, I think, was even upfront about it to Ellen that that was what was going to happen. Yeah, what a slimy bastard Penrod is at this point. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what I was pointing to last week. So I can't say I'm super surprised about Penrod's mm-hmm. decision to like come to Straff. He was an advocate of handing the city over from the jump, like before they deposed Elland at all, or even talked about doing that. So it, it doesn't make sense that he would oppose or stand up against these armies now when it's only right. gotten worse. He does, though, admit that Ellen's not an idiot and like stands up for Elland a little bit. So that was kind of cool. I'd like to see a little bit more conversation on that outside of like talking to ellen i'd like to see more of the behind the scenes of what the assembly men actually think of him because there seems to be a, a decent amount of respect there actually they just circumstances aren't such that he can thrive in their eyes so at least at least there's a glimmer of hope there though you know mm-hmm. right there is something there which i think is a you know, I think that's a good thing to remark on is that they really, really care about or like Penrod does stand up for Ellen to his father, no less, of whom is going to be taking the city. So it's like Straff, of course, like then demands fealty almost immediately after that because he's like, no, know who you're talking to. But I do. I agree with you. I think that at the very least, while Penrod is kind of a man of his word, I mean, this is kind of what we knew was going to happen. So this isn't completely unexpected. But at the same time, he's stand up enough to, you know, remark positively about our boy. Yeah. I'd love to see what Phylon's opinion is at this point of our boy. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be, I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. Yeah. I don't know much about Phylon in general. We were in his perspective for like a couple pages at most. But I was confused in this section about the setting. Hmm. It took me a couple of read-throughs to understand that they were, like, meeting out in the open and on horses. I don't know. I don't know if they were, like, just standing in the field or what, but... Yeah, I think they were kind of just, like, standing at a crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was just... Near the gate. Yeah. I wish there was more scene building on this one. Yeah. That's That's a super minor complaint. I think what... What betrays us in the scene a little bit is the fact that Zane and Straff are having a conversation. Zane is just running on the ground, talking to him. Like, he is running next to him, not riding a horse, because he's a Mistborn, and he can just do that. And Straff is riding the horse, and they're, like, having this conversation while they're riding up, to some degree. Were they riding? They just, you, they suddenly hear a rustling in the in the bushes. I think they they get to that point eventually. Okay. They ride, and then they get there, and then the rustling comes, and Penrod shows up. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't read it close enough. It's it's one of those. It's not it's not a it's not a big deal, but you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of a little bit of scene setting can go a long way in some of these cases. So Yeah. I feel ya. Do, do, do. So Straff issues an order to exchange oh, did you have something? Did you have no. something else? Okay. No. I looked just like you're raising your hand. So I was I'm like just itching my head. Is this class or something? I was like, you don't have to raise your hand, you can just fucking talk to me. 
Hi. Hello, sir. Uh, <laughs> Straff, Straff issues an offer to exchange the ATM for uh, Penrod's shot at keeping the crown, you know, basically giving him that offer so he can retain sort of some form of leadership over top of the city and advance his house in general in kind of the old politicky way. But Penrod does say basically that they haven't been able to find it. There is no ATM. And it was very kind of upfront about the fact that he's like, no one was able to find any of the ATM. So yeah, don't don't know what we can do for you there. And Straff obviously doesn't believe this as kind of the minor of the ATM. And that's kind of how how that conversation with Penrod ends. Yeah. I, he talks about the geodes and mining the geodes and knowing like how much was delivered versus, and, and assumes that there's a lot more than what was distributed. But did he do the refinement as well? I don't think there is any refinement with ATM because they pluck, the, okay. they basically pull it out and it's, it is ATM like the ingestible. Okay. Because they have to reach through, right? The the you yeah, know, the I just shards. I assumed it was like ore that needed refining to get to to the metal itself. I don't think because, so. I think it. I think it is metal innately. Okay. Then, then my point doesn't mean anything because I was wondering if the refining process just yielded a lot less than expected, and mm. there just isn't that much of it left. I don't think we ever get that fully detailed, so I don't okay. feel like refinement is never spoken of. Okay. But that is a curious question about, like, maybe there is a process there. And I don't think so, but I can't tell you why I don't think so. Cool. Cool. Get fucked. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, did you have any other thoughts about kind of the, the all these leaders keep doubting the fact that there's no ATM, and, and Straff most of all, of course, because, like, he... You know, he mined the shit. Do you do you have any other thoughts on like where you think the ATM went? I mean, I've said from very early you're, you're on. Still, yeah, like, you're, you're I holding think on to the Lord rulers burning it. Yeah, I. My only other thought is there is mention at the conventicle of Saren about this, like spikes of a different metal. Mm. Like maybe that's ATM. And it's being stored as spikes or not stored, but it was like turned into spikes for maybe some more experimental versions of the inquisitors or maybe the Lord ruler himself. If he was experimenting on himself with it, I don't know, but that's, that's my only other thought. If it hasn't been consumed entirely for whatever reason, because I don't know, I don't know. There's obviously other things that, the Lord Ruler and now Vin can that most people aren't aware are even possible, and maybe there's something that uses a ton of ATM that they're just not aware of. I don't know. All right, cool. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we move on from Straff and Penrod having that discussion to. Straff realizing that he's been poisoned uh, by his son again. Insane. <laughs> what what a guy. You know, Straff is left with with kind of thinking that he's got to do something about this rebel- rebellious son of his. Do you think that Straff will attempt to kill Zane? Do you think that you know he feels that? Also weird. Zane like doesn't want to poison him. He just is because it's to like keep Straff on his toes, which is like <laughs> super fucked. Like the whole relationship dynamic is incredible. Yeah, I think, I think yes, I think he actually will 
try. Okay. And I think it'll push Zane to actually abandon Straff. Okay. Completely and try to work more closely with Vin. Maybe not in parallel to, but a little bit more helpful. Straff himself talks about how Zane doesn't make sense and is muttering like a madman. Like, who knows what's actually going to happen with this dude? I don't think Zane is actually insane, though. Okay. Still, I think there's something possessing him. I don't think it's insanity. Like, whatever this god voice is, I think is... Sure. ...an actual entity. That makes sense. I can... I can buy into that idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. I did turn that into a prediction because you did make a couple of statements there that felt like predictions about where Zane is going to go. So it feels like that. That makes sense. Straff's knowledge of poisons, of course, is fairly impressive, and it makes me think about other uses for tin. I know we've talked about this in kind of Devil's Cut, and I think with with Lindsay a little bit, but is there anything else you can think of or anything that comes to mind now that we kind of see these these other uses? I I think of, like, blowing out your palate with spice, for instance. Mm -hmm. Like, it could be really wild and shocking. Like, you you take a spoon of wasabi, and then you burn tin (laughs) just to, like, completely empty out your body. Yeah. I don't know. What, What do you think? So, couple couple comments. First, about this scene, like he's running in. There's a, a sentence that just kind of goes under the radar because of the state of mind that Straff is in at the moment. But the troops are all scattering as though they're getting ready for an attack, and that's not mentioned again afterwards. I don't think. I think My that's thought- where our sense of urgency comes from in this chapter, though. A little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I didn't know if it was like they got word that the Coloss army is getting closer and are like Mm. taking up arms and preparing something like that. Or maybe there's something else entirely that's happening that we'll learn about soon. I don't know. But regarding tin in general, I think artistry of all kinds would be really, really cool with tin if if it works that way. So like musical composition, really being able to pick out and and hear what makes the most sense melodically and painting for the same reason creating recipes for cooking like figuring out similarly what harmonizes best and really getting nuanced with with flavors and stuff just really getting into the subtle parts of all the pieces yeah cool yeah Mm -hmm. what about you any applications that you'd like to No, I, I like I like your idea that it's music, right? Or like that music fits because you could really like pick apart instruments and like really refine, you know, the the particulars of the sound that you like. I think that that would be that's a really engaging facet. It makes me think that you you putting this like little musical spin on it to some degree makes me think about tin and its possibilities with like dance and like it it doesn't it doesn't change your interpretation of dance dancing it just enhances your senses so i guess maybe that doesn't count but you would notice things you might notice things like the subtle subtle quick moves and and things like that so like um, tango where you yeah, where yeah, you have that's to a great example. really sort of follow react yeah, yeah and play off your partner Something that like was that. that was my first thought when you said that. I was like, hmm, maybe maybe actually like tin for dancing is interesting. Yeah. Obviously, Devil's Cut, we talked about sex. Sex and yep. tin 
<laughs> hand in lots hand. of lots of applications on that one i think yes we got yes. into it a little bit more detailed so patreon.com slash words and whiskey you can listen to our devil's cuts and hear us talk about hear, hear sex and alamancy sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that one was fun okay with that we go into chapter 40 here we've got our logbook and it is and yet Something about this seemed so convenient. It felt almost as if we constructed a hero to fit our prophecies, rather than allowing one to arise naturally. This was the worry I had, the thing that should have given me pause when my brethren came to me, finally willing to believe. Ah, God. What the fuck does this all mean, dude? I don't know, dude. What do you you think it is? If we're trying to relate the logbook to the chapter... We obviously spend time in this, ch- is it in this chapter or is it next chapter? Oh, it's next chapter that we are with Seiza and Tindwell. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even work. Yeah. But we we talked to like Zane. Yeah. Vin and Zane yeah. talk in this chapter, I think. Or Sore, you know. Hmm. I don't have a lot to say about these logbook entries because I am yeah. really wrestling with the validity of any of it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Mm-hmm. This was a new one, though, wasn't it? I don't think we've seen. I this think before. so. I think this is as as of yet an unused logbook entry. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Is this potentially talking about bringing Rashik in? Like this could be. I don't think it's so much Rashik as it is talking about the other folks within the. Oh God! What world bringers? Okay. Yeah. I think it's more more about them than anything else. Because it's when they believe, they start to believe. That's really what I think he's pointing to, if that makes sense. This was where the thing that should have given me pause when my brethren brethren okay. Okay. That's where I was coming from on it. So all right. So we're back with Vin while she's injured and recovering with Ellen by her side. You know, this is just kind of a, a good scene and it's all we spend with vin this week so let's just kind of we'll just kind of piece our way through it you gotta love how the first word she says when she wakes up is why (laughs) and she like (laughs) kind of berates him a little bit Mm -hmm. i mean not berates but dismisses the idea that she needs to be looked after she's like i'm fine i didn't die we're good peter burns i'm fine don't worry about me just kind of downplaying everything but there's also the flinch that she notices when she like moves towards him to touch him i think and that's like that little motion fucks with her head for the rest of the section mm-hmm. like the rest of the time yeah. with vin really really fucks with her so that's an interesting comparison to make when we learn when we talk about ellen's perspective and he's wondering like why she's acting so weird we know it's this like this is what she's acting weird about but he doesn't seem to actually take take it into consideration. He doesn't seem to think about her as like a monster. Maybe he does subconsciously. Maybe that flinch wasn't actually a flinch and she's just seeing things. She's pretty percep- perceptive though, so I don't know. We also learn that Ellen's kind of... He's not as thorough with his like compassion for everybody as he seems to be specifically because of his comments about the chondra it it almost feels like before he knew 
that Vin, like when he only knew Lady Valette and he was completely ignorant of whether or not Ska were intelligent to the same degree as the noble class. It almost feels like uh, judgment based on complete ignorance, but it you would think that after everything he's gone through, he'd have a little bit more compassion and understanding of the whole thing. But this also means that Vin hasn't talked to Ellen at all about her relationship with Orsur and how that's mm-hmm. progressing. So, Yeah, I think that that's a, a very clever way of kind of looking at that. Clever is not the right word. That's a great way of looking at it because I think that while Ellen is our boy philosopher, king not king, he is very ignorant of many things. You know, it's he's he's got some holes, he's got some flaws. I think that that's a reasonable thing, and I think that he's gradually trying to shed those preconditioned thoughts that he that he has, kind of in this in this area in this arena. But it it is shocking to see how he reacts to Condra because he's just used to it. You know, his house had a Condra growing up. We we know that we've mm-hmm. we've actually. I think we met the Condra in the first book. Uh, yeah. What was the name? Tensoon. Tensoon. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. So we've we've met. We've met his like old house Chandra, but we didn't, you know, we didn't really get to know, we didn't really get to see those interactions. And the best we can do is we can get the stories um, from Orsur about how, you know, some masters will just beat them for fun and, you know, kind of those things. So it it's almost, he's truly like, well, he's not codifying because he's not making legal, but he's, he's got like moral boundaries for humans now and that hasn't started to apply to other types of creatures including the coloss that he just murders in cold blood later <laughs> like yeah <laughs> you know as, as i think more about humans. that one i'm like yeah right <laughs> which i thought was hilarious yeah. Um, yeah we definitely we'll talk more about that we'll when talk we get about there, that but a lot, like I, sure. I agree with you i think that it's weird that that doesn't apply like ellen doesn't apply that same idea mm-hmm. to speaking of ten soon though I'm pretty sure that's going to be the imposter whenever that shows up. Somebody who already knows Ellen pretty well, mm-hmm. presumably from being in proximity, would just know how to navigate that better than somebody else. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. And I, I think, you know, I wasn't trying to, you know, give you or lead you anything there, but I, I think that that is the most logical thing because we mm-hmm. do know that it's from Straff or we assume it's from Straff because Set was so much later that. Yeah, this was before Set was there, there, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it was, you know, Straff's assassins and then Straff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it seems logical. And that would make the most sense from a spy level because he probably does know Ellen the best. So. Right. Oh, it's not necessarily before set it was it was when set was on his way in because they found it right after they got breeze from set yeah yeah but i don't know fair still think it's set or it's three straff but whatever sure irrelevant that works hearsay (laughs) (laughs) what else what else was there with with vin here um i really do like the waking up with like why (laughs) like her perking up we didn't really talk too much about the the sort of reaction and flinch the reason that this is so interesting to compare is you have the at the last time that she sees ellen she like she notices this and sees that reaction and kind of the horror in his face 
And then one of the first things she sees after many, many apologies and forgiveness and like having this conversation about how excellent she is and how this doesn't change anything, you know, she still feels that clinch in in her chest in the same way. And so it feels like she she hears the words, but she doesn't believe the actions. Yeah, I think part of that is Reen coming back or I think Reen coming back is a symptom of that sort of headspace that she's in. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think that Reen's voice in the back of her head scratching there again is 100% a symptom. Yeah, but there's also now an actual external force of Zane because his his rhetoric is like echoing around in her head constantly throughout her like when we're in her perspective, we're always getting little echoed comments of what he said and what he's been reiterating. So that's just adding more complication and lack of confidence like it's it's yeah removing your confidence to a certain extent totally yeah i and i i think you know especially when we get to the part where like reen's voice is scratching the back of her head and you know there's a lot of these different forces but zane is kind of like a manifestation in some way of that voice and that perspective not not necessarily identically right because reen's voice in the back of her head is saying you know he's going to leave you don't you see he's going to leave you and zane is giving a path for her to leave him and there's there's this like circling it's almost like guiding her down the drain, right? Like it's almost spinning her down where it's like there's so much around her that she cannot escape but fall down unless she actively chooses to like crawl up and out. Yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of perfect because her her problem in the past, it was always staying too long mm-hmm. and staying because it's a known evil instead of an unknown evil which is something she kind of kicked herself for constantly. So now if he can convince her that this is a bad situation, she's probably more likely to take that initiative because it's been something that she's been regretting and like rectify that in her mind. Like, yeah, I am going to take initiative and leave before anything bad happens. So Mm. I don't know. It's it's the deck is stacked against her right now. It's really not great. Her own deck stacked it against her, which is so terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the tragedy of Vin. Every time I say tragedy, there feels something final about it, like they're going to die, and like I'm informing you that they're going to die. So I'm just going to refer to everyone as like being tragic. So <laughs> that's fair. Everyone dies eventually, you know, like it's yeah. fine. So there's all of that. But then on top of this, we also get this like little tiny, really quick note that Set is also still stuck in the city and and can't get out and can't, you know. Also isn't going to get out himself, like is not choosing to or not going to fight his way out and has kind of bonded the causes together, effectively making it so that Set will fight on behalf of the city no matter what. So this is that point where they come to the realization that he's like, he's going to win or he's going to die. Like, yeah, pretty much. And he's doing whatever, like total, total all out sort of plan. What a coward. (laughs) 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 i I can completely understand his approach and i get it but he is gambling with the lives of thousands of people Mm -hmm. under him and we know he doesn't care yeah yeah 
dick. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad that you have you've dialed into dialed into set. I I think that he is incredibly clever. I think that calling him a coward is also apt because he is he has tied his fate to that of the city, right? Mm-hmm. And so he is really taking the easy way in like five different contexts. So, yeah. I'm still curious about Alamancy. Maybe not Mistborn at this point. It's still a possibility but he just seems so fragile <laughs> at this point yeah, now that's fair i'm still stuck on the fact that you and Lindsay settled on f- being lurchers and like pulling yourself around <laughs> everywhere i'm still upset about it why <laughs> i think i think it's such a bad call anyway this, it just right. popped into my head again <laughs> he is wheelchair bound it would be the perfect opportunity for him yeah it's fair just wheel himself i think i mentioned it even in in that conversation with Lindsay, like sit in a wheelchair or i think i might have i might have been going with desk chair because that's what i would yeah. do just i don't know pull desk myself yourself backwards. around everywhere yeah, yeah. ridiculous well <laughs> okay what did you what did you decide on again push i, I would oh, much yeah. rather be a coin shot yeah i just like the idea of grabbing stuff I know from across the room. <laughs> like, ah, yes, knife, come at me. Banana. <laughs> yeah, right. Potassium. The beer. <laughs> you know the 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 last Mistborn book in Area Two is called uh, the Lost Metal, right? So it's potassium. It's got to be potassium. It's right? got to be. Gotta it's got to be. Bananes for warmth. All right. So. Then, of course, after Ellen leaves, she has this conversation with the other Venture brother, Zane, of whom is clearly the cause and reinforcement, a lot of this old doubt that we've been talking about that has started to seep back into Vin's character over the last two weeks. He lies, of course, to her face about who sent the assassins, and Vin is skeptical, but ultimately seems to be buying into his gaslighting. And I, I really do think it's gaslighting in, in most contexts, not entirely, but there's there are bits of it that are. And when she says, of course, quietly under her breath and response this time when i read and i I was actually i listened to it this week and then i read it and then i listened to it i went no 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 not of course not of course this is not of course stop it vin (laughs) well i don't know if i consider it gaslighting there is the point at the end you're gaslighting me about gaslighting you no but are you about to are you about to gaslight me i'm arguing i'm arguing definitions (laughs) i think okay um because like the point at the end where he's talking about ellen and like really leaning into the horror on his face yeah. um and straight up lies to her about right. that and right potentially actually we don't know we don't know how long that like lingered on his face but he leans into it but this is i mean it's a masterfully orchestrated lie and it's not making her misremember anything he he's just offering a justification for everything that she saw because it all points to set so like i'm gonna be i i'm totally giving zane the benefit of the doubt that this was like his plan the entire time to make it look like this it's like i'm assuming that the alamancers that she recognized in sets sort of serving crew at that dinner were spies specifically like put there to spy on set and he was able to sort of leverage that and use it to his advantage because he knows that Vin saw them. Like everything he says is completely believable and justifiable based on that description. Just, he knows it's not true. So like he's, he's not making her misremember anything. 
right? There's one detail that she that he's pushing on with her that is like very clearly gaslighting, though. I'm trying to remember what it is, but there's one thing where he's really trying to convince her of something. I think and it's is the explicitly end. twisting the truth. I like, think it is with oh, it's with, with Ellen. Ellen. Yeah, yeah, it's with Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the one that I think is the the biggest indicator of gaslighting. The rest is definitely mostly manipulation. Yeah. So, I mean, it's semantics. It either way, it sucks, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, the, the whole idea that the spy or that the elementers were sets and, you know, especially with the one that they can't remember the face of. And like there's that whole conversation that we kind of skipped over that happens between her and Ellen about that one that she like popped the his last head off one. like a pimple yeah the last yeah they could refer to him it's the last one <laughs> guess what are you gonna call him pulp for brains like <laughs> i loved ellen's response though like well we're gonna have a hard time uh identifying that one yeah, yeah. yep <laughs> it was a, it was a pretty clever response and like funny you know mm. in a in a good way i totally agree i but. i dug that little bit but yeah i i mean zane is you know awful he also convinces her of her like tumultuous inner monologue right by by saying that he saw the same thing in ellen to that same purity snap like we were talking about the, the actual gaslighting right he even explains that he isn't like ellen he's tortured and strained in a very different way edgy you know i'm i'm an edgy boy an emo boy in the end he he parts with a very expensive gift a, a bead of atm what the fuck is zane yeah. playing at do you think so I've got some ideas. First of all, mm-hmm. kind of curious that you'd use the term snap here <laughs> when talking about Ellen. And I, I'll i get into that later, but during that fight with the Coloss, I think there are some mm. oddities that he's experiencing that make me think he's inherited at least the same sort of tin-eye trait of his father. But I don't know. Hints. We'll see. <laughs> um, have we heard anything while we're in Zane's perspective from God talking about Vin, I don't recall. I think kill her, but yeah. Was there? I thought it was I always think so. talking about Ellen or Straff. When I feel like you might be right, but I feel like I feel like there was God always seems to be convincing him to kill someone. Like that's mostly God's job. That's all we've been shown. Right. But I could totally see God pushing him towards Vin. And I mean, I mean, he calls it God, so I'm calling it God. Whatever this entity yeah. is, whatever this is, maybe he is just fucking crazy. I don't know, but I don't know. I think there could be something there where, like, maybe maybe this is part of the hero of ages. Maybe it's not a single person. Maybe it's a pair. Maybe it's a group of people that are, like, drawn to each other somehow. Or maybe maybe there's a draw to the hero of ages, in a particular way i you're stuck <laughs> <laughs> i want i want to read more crossland i want to get well that's farther. why we're doing this episode now <laughs> because then you can immediately jump in next week's next week's reading is like 70 something pages so you'll get a good chunk out we only have like three or four more chapters here or yeah, three or four more episodes around page 500 now yeah I think we've got 12 episodes in this one so i think we got four left in well of ascension we are we are over 500 yeah we're in like five Oh, the last chapter. 530 by the end? Yeah, 540. Yeah. 539. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, so yeah. like... Into the into the thicken. Yeah. Three yep. quarters of the way about? Yeah, we're like right there, as my book would tell you, with <laughs> the broken spine. 
<laughs> it's just been re-breaking as I like read new sections, and it's so hard to like do anything with. Poor, poor book. It didn't even go through that much. It's just thick, <laughs> and it bro- its spine broke. It broke its back. So, yeah. Interesting comments on on God and otherwise. I think that this is one that I have to just kind of raffo because I I don't know if there's yeah. so much that I can talk about plot wise, but thematically, I think that God is pushing Zane for sure. I, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the whole the whole thing, right? And and that's where Zane tries to control him. We've only ever seen situations explicitly where God says something. We've only seen situations where he pushes them away. So yeah. I don't know if there's anything that he actually like follows through on, but it's certainly not making him a mentally stable person. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. Um, definitely not doing well there. You know, not mm. in that category. I would, I would like to just kind of temper myself a little bit, and I'm not trying to like make fun of people that hear things like fucking crazy was maybe a little bit harsh to say so i apologize if there's any offense taken at that yeah yeah i think that it's um it's important to recognize that like zane is dysregulated like he is heavily dysregulated and you know it almost feels too apt to say something like zane is insane you know like it feels like it's on the tip of your tongue and you want to say it all the time because of the way this man behaves he's insane but at the same time, not we aren't being disparate. We are intentionally trying to not be disparaging. We actually both have active mental health issues that we don't talk about on the show. But we're we're both diagnosed and on medications variously. So you know, like we're not we're not here to piss in anyone's tea. That's not the point. I don't know why you'd piss in someone's tea. I mean, to be rude. <laughs> First, of it would be rude. It would be rude. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. Yep. All mm-hmm. that said, cool. We we shall continue. <laughs> we shall continue. Uh, and here Vin remarks on the dresses, right? And how she can't be both as Tinwill wanted her to be. <laughs> We're back to this fucking thing one more time. <laughs> Just to reiterate. Um, I, I don't remember you know. this. I don't remember that section like i feel like it just goes straight from like she talks about recovering and becoming more like them where she, she, looks, she doesn't constantly she looks at a missing dress there's a dress it's the dress that she wore to the you know it's the white dress it's the or rather okay. not the white dress but it is the one that she was wearing that had all the misborn pockets and the specialization in it okay yeah i don't know i felt like this was a comment like this section she's talking about sort of becoming more comfortable Mm-hmm. And not worrying so much like she used to when she was on the streets and like not worrying about somebody coming in and killing her in her sleep. Even after she had this conversation with Zane, who appeared in her bedroom while she was sleeping, <laughs> like <laughs> I feel yeah. like this is her moving more towards, I guess, maybe not more towards the sort of nobility side, but definitely more towards a healthy, not street urchin side of her yeah okay fair point fair point and i'm i'm saying she's hoping to like put the street urchin in the past we're seeing the street urchin come out now because of you know the insecurities Mm -hmm. that zane is pushing on and kind of the questions raised by ellen in turn but i'm thinking more comparing the nobility to the knife right nobility to mistborn more or less you you could you could you could add that third angle to the triangle Mm -hmm. of this whole thing i feel like you and i are still on pretty opposite sides in this argument (sighs) yep like 
you seem to believe that they can't coexist. And I no, think that I'm saying, there's like the point is to blend them. I agree. PJ, I agree with you. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that Vin thinks that they can't ex- coexist. And the text supports that Vin thinks that they can't coexist. Okay. I think they can. I think they should. I'm saying Vin doesn't think it can work. <laughs> okay. I'm only speaking textually. I 100% right. <laughs> think that the right way to do this is to blend the two. But she is she has submerged herself in one and does not believe that they can. And here is further reinforced to believe that they can't, you know? Okay. That's more my point. I'm not, by no means am I on the side. I think I tried to make this clear in the last episode. I believe that Vin should blend the two. I think that her shattering her personality in, in these two different segments is doing more damage. I think the dress is arguably could have been a unifier, but she should also be able to just be a noble woman from time to time and wear like regular dresses. You know, that was, that was my point with the dress in particular. Yeah. I guess my argument with that is that's not blending that segmenting. Well, yeah, but you can also segment a little bit like (laughs) you have to acknowledge. She's not even acknowledging that she's a noble woman, right? Like that's the thing. So Mm -hmm. the blend gets her to maybe do that a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it pushes back there, but it'd be like, come on, like, just, just have a dress, like, just enjoy, you know, that's fair as a treat, you know, I have a dress as a treat. I want a misborn dress. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody make PJ a misborn dress. He'll wear it. He will. (laughs) I would. He'll put daggers in it and little vials of metal. (laughs) I'd drink them. I actually, my parents bought me these, or didn't buy, I think they got them from somewhere, but they got these like really tiny little bottles with like caps on them. And I'm mm-hmm. like, those would be perfect for, A, they're going to be perfect for like little tiny test simple syrups that I want to make and like do like little flavorings of, but also perfect for like little cocktail shots or things like that. And as an example, like an alimantic metal shot, I'm thinking. Yeah, just fill it with gallium. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't, don't. Everybody at home, do not drink gallium. <laughs> Whatever you I don't do. think it's liquefied toxic. gallium. I think you can drink it? it. Yeah. Not in like a lot, but it's not like mercury where like you'll get poison from it. To me, everything is poison. Life is poison. Yeah. I might be speaking out of my ass. Do not like, <laughs> do not don't drink seek it out and like gallium. try to do this, but I don't think it's as toxic as mercury. And I think that like you can handle it like without problem and i think it's not like a huge deal if you consume some of it pj has been licking the gallium at work yeah we make water valves out of gallium it's super (laughs) super effective super super cost efficient (laughs) that that nice soft metal (laughs) that liquid metal (laughs) yeah oh does it i i saw solidify temperature was fairly low so i assume yeah probably very hard to actually make solid probably have to freeze it yep (laughs) basically yeah basically anyway yeah cool um (laughs) random science facts with this is what we do sometimes (laughs) we just like derail and we're like huh does this end up in the show does this not end up in the show what do we do with that like little gallium exchange which is where we then sometimes cut them in the to the devil's cuts um Um, but yeah maybe we shouldn't publicly advocate for eating metal <laughs> eating metal probably not probably not i'm um, pretty sure it's fine though yeah <laughs> cuz i looked it up cuz i wanted to do alimantic shots that's why i yeah, looked it yeah. up well there's I, so i don't think it's like yeah. a huge issue sure so there there are the 
like metal the food grade like metal flourish things those exist and they're mm-hmm. they're pretty cheap the, they're like little powder things definitely saw him on how to drink a couple of times and he he recommended and he's like they're flavorless so it doesn't really affect anything and it just makes shit look cool yeah so i mean there's obviously gold flake and stuff like that yeah yeah but it's it's like it's they're often used in like purple cocktails and stuff like that to like make it look full you know okay to like really emphasize the color it's a big thing on instagram right now because it makes your cocktails look super you know ooh, juji you know yeah okay zhuzhes them like a j- magic zhuzh wand zhuzh just gonna keep saying zhuzh um so i've been looking into that because i thought i think that it would be fun to do like some interesting alimantic cocktails especially yeah. with like guests and stuff for yeah that'd be pretty you know, cool wrap-up episodes so it'd be um, we haven't announced our wrap-up guest we need to do that at the end of this episode that's gonna be exciting that'll be fun yeah. oh secrets oh secrets how would you make a t- like a silver colored cocktail or gray colored cocktail so that's that's where this of? like that's where that metal is held like that sheen or whatever it's called the food food quality sheen is useful but i think you'd probably do oh god what the fuck would you do? It'd have to be all clear liquors, and then you'd need to, like... I don't know, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm going to have to think about that more. I know how to drink did a couple of, like, potion-style cocktails, and one of them had, like, a floating bead of metal in it, but it was something else that was... Hmm, I'll have to go back through those and find it, because I've thought about this a little bit. There's got to be a way to fake it, you know? Yeah. But I feel like you could make, like, a clear solution, right? Like, a clear solution cocktail, vodka based probably or tequila like a blanco but i think you'd go vodka because you might want to add like other spirits like maraschino for instance or like something else to give it you know a little bit more complex flavor and then some of that metal sheen stuff would kind of run through and look really weird and it's generally gray colored you can get specific colors but okay that's probably a way to do it but yeah i don't know this is this has been cocktail crafting with pj and cross (laughs) yeah that's how i've been thinking about it though lately Okay, we'll have to go. So I have I have ten of those little bottles, which is why I'm like I'm thinking I could even do like one for each metal, which could be interesting. Well, you know, not most of them. Yeah, right. All right, Uh, should we uh, get back into it? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I don't know. You want to you want to be done? We could just call it there. (laughs) So again, we we see Orsor and discuss the fact that he didn't violate the contract, as well as his new doggy bones. wearing the new fur um he also elaborates a bit on conjure culture and what he would face if he broke the contract (laughs) exposing it as something that is more of kind of like a cultural touchstone and less of a magical contract as you suspected so i will be taking that drink kind of at the end here actually i'm just gonna take it right now because i don't think that was codified in a in a prediction but Okay. Cheers, good work. However, the punishment is proven to be very severe. So this this cultural touchstone, cultural contract, is is one that carries a heavy punishment. Yeah, so it's severe, but at the same time, it sounds like he would just go turn himself in. So I don't understand that quite so much. Maybe, maybe it's more severe if he has to be chased down something. I don't know. Yeah. But he he didn't break the contract very explicitly did not break the contract. But he cites that most of his brethren would probably see it that way. They'd probably see it as breaking the contract. And he risked breaking it. 
like the outcome is what made him not break it basically and he is he's totally lawyering himself around the contract which i mean it it's pretty cool to have this progression and see mm-hmm. like he he is solidly moving like the relationship forward with Vin and really kind of gives some more weight to what he does for her. So kind of shifts the perspective a little bit in that sense on like how much he's actually risking and makes it seem a lot more significant every time he does something for her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love that our sewer shows all this growth, right? And that his risk ultimately saves her life. Like it, it ultimately is to protect her, and he is more than willing to have done what he did, despite the risk, it seems. And as such, he he continues to, throughout this chapter, share even more about Condra culture, which, which just ends up being something that we'll definitely talk about in a second. But yeah, I mean, I think Orsor is solidly in Vin's camp at this point, despite saying effectively that he's never felt like he's never had this kind of connection or relationship with a master before in the same way, or someone who's held his contract. So... This is effectively a very different relationship. It is. Now. Yeah. In a... She even, like, she stands up for him to Ellen a little bit, right? Yeah. He's not in the room at the time, but, yeah. Not not at this point, but... Right. Previously, like, she's... Yep. She doesn't give in to what Ellen is saying. Mm-hmm. She doesn't quite stand up for him, I think, but... but... Yeah, she's injured, so she's laying down the whole time. Well, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't go to bat for him. Yeah. Right, but she does question Ellen's reasoning and comments, which good on her. Yeah, stand up for these pseudo immortal shapeshifty fucks. You pseudo immortal shapeshifty fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me scritch behind your ear. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd giggle at my use of doggy bones. I'm glad I got the reaction that I wanted. <laughs> doggy bones. <laughs> I just, I was like, this is too perfect as I was going through. I was like, he's wearing new doggy bones. And then I was like, oh, doggy bones is kind of a multifaceted context. Because <laughs> he, he has to eat them <laughs> to become them. <laughs> um, does he have to eat the bones in the form that he's previously in? Or does he have to, like, go outside of... I think he sheds the previous form and then adopts the new one. <sighs> Because I think he leaves the previous bones behind. She sees him eat Kelsier's bones, right? I don't think she sees him or eat Kelsier's bones. She sees him eat Orsur's bones. Or uh, the the wolfhound's bones. Yeah. Yep. So she knows what his like naked form looks like then. I think he was still like a person at the time. I don't think... Okay. I think she was asked to leave when he did that. Okay. When he was doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to know what he looks like. Yeah. Maybe I want, eventually. I want to know what what he's what he looks like under that skin. Under 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 that fur. Under, under all that, that good boy fur. Yeah. Are they humanoid? I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> are they a blob? Are they, Probably, they I are they I'd assume they're I assume they're humanoid because of how like perturbed he was to like be in a dog body instead of a human you know, like, body. You know, like Tantula, the the uh, weird spaghetti noodle Pokemon. What hey, you've seen Tantula, right? 
Oh, I think you, so. You know what I'm yep, talking about? Yep, yeah. Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it in the, the channel. If you don't know, maybe maybe they're like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Can't scrooge that guy behind his ears. <laughs> yeah. Which one's his ear? I don't think... I don't think he has ears. I think he's just noodles. Um, <laughs> anyway. All right. So... <laughs> We, we get even more on Chondra culture here. The Lord Ruler referred to as Father and kind of their general origin story as well, which is really fun. Again, this is something that he kind of freely offers up with like just the smallest of push from Vin being like, tell me more. And he's like, OK, I'll tell you more now uh, versus before she had to like really pull teeth to kind of get here. Does this inform anything for you relating to the larger lore of the world? How do you, how do you feel about this section? I love it. Let me just preface. Yeah. I fucking adore this little little meaty bit. I thought it was super illuminating yeah. it what it makes me the most curious about is specifically because he talks about her allomancy in general and how it's like abnormal i wonder if other mistborn would be able to use duralumin at all or if that's something unique to vin i'm not so much thinking about talking about the push yet because that that happens really at the end okay I'm, I'm thinking more about just the the culture in general okay okay uh, i definitely want to talk about the push and the powerful elemancy and kind of that stuff yeah i just want to focus on the cultural thing before we get to that like shocking end of the chapter yeah that's um, fair element but so there is a comment that he like about how old he is and he says he doesn't remember the ascension yeah which to me that feels kind of careful in that maybe his consciousness is younger than his body is like maybe maybe his body was around during the ascension maybe i'm putting too much weight into what he said there and like his wording but yeah that's that's kind of where my head went on that comment i'm like how old are these are there do they have chondra children ever like do they procreate where they all created and there's like different consciousnesses that are put into the same bodies i don't know gears are turning crossland gears are turning gears are a turning cool well i'm glad i'm glad that you're you're thinking about this and kind of fixating on it i do i do want to talk now about duralumin i just want to make sure we got in kind of the like cultural bits Mm -hmm. um but there's there's talk of the lord ruler and the founding and we we really end this chapter with a reveal that the Chondra can be affected by powerful allomancy, and as he claims, as Orsur claims about Vin, she is more like the Allomancers of old and has abilities that she shouldn't have. Meaning, you know, like you were saying, kind of with Duralumin, if you want to hop in there with yeah. thoughts. Yeah, so just to reiterate, in case you cut that out. I just, will, because fuck you. Yeah, well. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it makes me wonder if Duralumin is a metal that can be used by other Alamancers or by other Mistborn in general. There's nothing that really points to the idea that they can't, considering it is like an, a metal ingested in the same way. She just seems to have more abilities in... Well, also, they fear Mistborn, specifically. So it's probably it's probably that all Mistborn have this ability. Okay, talk myself out of that sort of thought process. What I hope for this is that after she pushes on or after she like was it soothing i think it was soothing soothing with Duralumin. i'm hoping that this understanding that she can do things that 
she shouldn't be able to do will prompt her to open up more to Orsur about piercing copper clouds, for example. And maybe he has more information of what she might be able to do that she's not aware of based on like what, what the Alamancers of old were able to do. That's my hope is that like, there's going to be a dialogue between the two and sort of brainstorm session of how they can use this to their advantage. How'd you feel about his Yelp? His like cry. He got pushed on. It just made me think of the time I stepped on my dog's tail. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you somehow made it worse. (laughs) Well, that's what they, it was like a guttural Yelp. I can't remember the term used, but yeah. Yeah. Poor guys. Poor, poor puppy. Poor boy. Poor puppy. Poor puppo. So I, sad. So the other thing. Yeah. What's going to happen now that clearly mm-hmm. it's a different wolfhound that's going to be like perfectly trained from the jump, <laughs> which apparently they're pretty notoriously difficult to train because they're mm-hmm. fucking monsters. So she's just going to have this second perfectly trained wolfhound I'm wondering if she's going to have to open up to the crew or at least to like some core members about it and divulge the information of those that Mm -hmm. she trusts. Yeah. But maybe it's too late now. Maybe it's like she, maybe she doesn't want to share that information because it, it'll like retroactively feel like a breach of trust that she had a spy with that, with her the entire time through all those conversations. Yeah. I don't know. Though she never used it to spy. It was always with her. It wasn't like the wolfhound was hanging out with the crew while she was away to like hear what they're talking about without her around. So Mm -hmm. maybe that was, maybe that's not a big deal. Okay. With that, we move into chapter 41. We've got our logbook here. It's really short. So it's in the document. After that, I began to see other problems. Okay, Quan. Me too. <laughs> Me too, dude. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I see other problems. I see yeah. other problems all the time. Mm-hmm. What? This one is relevant. <laughs> this one's very relevant to this chapter. <laughs> okay. Hmm? Yeah. No. Go. Continue. No, specifically about like mm-hmm. finding problems in the in the text that they're reading. Yeah. So. I mean, it's not more complicated than that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. That's a connection I had. (laughs) If you're waiting for me to say more. No, no, that's literally all it is. You're right. Good call. (laughs) This is like literally eight words. (laughs) So it's not like we can talk long about eight words without without more context. Damn it. Damn it, Branderson. You could have helped us out here. So uh, we start this chapter, though, with Seizid and Tinwold discussing the notes of Alendi and Quan variously they break down questions that they have of the fears that Quan held and their innate contradictions of the overly rational thought process he had about Alendi reaching the well of ascension what do you what do you make of their breakdown of of Quan? do you feel like they're doing a better job than you are no <laughs> <laughs> wow no, i think i got it unlocked no, but uh, there is one point that I'm kind of frustrated doesn't come up at all. And I, I have a justification, but I don't have that much of a justification for it. Sure. Um, specifically regarding some knowledge that it has and how Vin is exhibiting some of the same traits as Alendia talks about. 
like seeing that entity in the mist and stuff like that. So he doesn't even bring that up in the slightest, which seems odd to me, but maybe he doesn't want to betray Vin's trust with the confidential information. Like just kind of, it's not like explicitly confidential, but she spoke to him behind closed doors and I don't know. And regardless, we're in Sazed's perspective, I think here. And he does, he doesn't even think about it. Like it doesn't cross his mind. Like that seems like something he would think about and maybe not mention, but we don't even see that. So what's your justification? Is your justification that he doesn't want to break the trust? Yeah, that was the justification. But then I thought about the, the the perspective thing, like we're, we're in his mind. So he doesn't even think about it. I have a secondary justification here that I'll, I'll give you from my perspective. He doesn't want to be a false announcer like he thinks Quan is, fair. right? So I think that he is he is placing that out of his mind as far as he can because he does mm-hmm. not want to be a new, you know, proclaimer of a religion that he barely understands, saying that someone is the hero of ages without really knowing. Yeah. It's like this whole thing is making me feel like he wasn't a false announcer though. He just sure had reservations externally from what we already know that's like making him making him present himself like he's second guessing himself sure you know like it's like several layers of deception Mm -hmm. i feel like and it's really complicated and convoluted to like speak about and try to explain succinctly but it, it feels like this this is like a false apology for something nefarious that he's planning with Rashik to go against okay. the hero of ages. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get that for sure. I just wanted to give that as a rationale for why That's I think says it totally is avoiding fair. it. And but I, you'd I still think see that, that be, in his mind though, wouldn't you? I don't think, I think he's trying to push that so far out of his head because he does not want to be, he doesn't want it to consume all of his thoughts because he can clearly see the fact that it consumed Quan's entire mind and existence trying to connect dots that weren't there. And so I think he's like holding that one in reserve, you know, like, okay, maybe if this is the only piece of the puzzle we're missing, I'll consider it, but I am not considering it on the front end of the puzzle. Okay. I can get, it looks like it could be a part of the pile, but you think it might've been left out from your previous puzzle, you know? I mean, I don't know about you. I just put all my puzzle pieces in one box and try to, try to build them all at once. I mean, yeah, all my puzzles are like 48 <laughs> pieces. So, yeah, I mean, I just all put them in one box, too. I do. I do this the, one's a giant know, like a that big. and has like a handle on it. <laughs> yes, that one's just yeah. a cube. Yeah. Like, and I'm supposed I to put them, them in apart. shapes, you know, like I'm supposed to. I think there's supposed to be like a grid thing that you like drop them in. I don't know. I'm pretty easy to entertain. I don't think I've told this story before, but it's it's a fun one. So my my dad thought I was dumb when I was little. <laughs> Me too. Um, I thought you yeah. were dumb. Well, that this was littler than that. Okay. <laughs> but, I'm, I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I, know. I know. But my dad thought I was dumb when I was little because I he would he would like show me a ring and tell me what color it was. And I would just say blue <laughs> or like purple. And like I would occasionally switch it up, but I was always wrong <laughs> because I couldn't see color. And so he was like, oh, crap, my kid is stupid. So he bought easier toys. <laughs> is your dad colorblind at all? No, <laughs> my grandpa is though on okay, my mom's side, okay. which is how that would flow. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. 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 I just, I fucking, I lose it every time he tells that story. Personally. That's hilarious. It is, 
it is so so funny but in particular it was that stacker thing you know like the, the it's got like the so flat base and then <laughs> it kind of looks like a wall-mounted dildo if we want to get into it but you stack like the little circles the rings the oh, okay on top yeah all right we're going extreme with comparisons. You stack, you stack the different ranks, and they can only go in a specific order. Here we are. Now we're here. I already said it. Can't take it back. So, point being, you stack those little like rings on them, right? And they're different colors, and the colors are supposed to indicate the order because they go in the order of the rainbow, right? That's kind of the idea is to like teach you not only the order of the rings, but then the colors across the rainbow. And <laughs> that went so well. I would always stack the wrong one to turn it into like a weight, <laughs> like pick it up in the middle. Yeah, I'm dumb. Okay. Anyway, point being tangent aside, how'd we get here? I don't remember. I don't fucking remember. I was laughing too hard. <laughs> so, all right. There's <laughs> got to reset real quick. There's a tension as they find themselves. <laughs> Fuck. You can't start laughing. I'm break. I'm half breaking. You can't break when I half break. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to this. There's a tension as they find themselves unable to solve the problem of Quan and the rubbing. The ru- Every time I say the rubbing, I'm just like, <laughs> I giggle a little bit to myself. Anyway, uh, <laughs> how, do they, how do they handle the changes to a piece of historical text when the city around them is in impending peril from so many different sides? Tindwell states, and I, I really love this quote, I've studied these things, says it. I know what happens when a conqueror takes a city. People will die. Many people. And says it feels a chill crawl down his spine. There's something just, it, it feels different. When when somebody who's spent their entire lives like dedicated to understanding how how things rise and fall, how cities rise and fall, how governments work like this, saying that they're fucking doomed. <laughs> like it's so yeah. it's so unsettling. It's it's pretty bad to have someone who studies this shit to be like, Yeah, this is really bad. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if it's we're like, that's taking... like having a doctor tell you, Yeah, no, you've got like six months. <laughs> like, <laughs> Very frankly. Yep. I was going to say, if we're taking cues from, like, modern society right now, people Mm -hmm. just kind of ignore any sort of expert opinion. (laughs) And, you know, apparently they're entitled to that opinion. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a fair point (laughs) to bring up. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. Good good call. (laughs) Good call there. Making it relevant without being direct. We love it. (laughs) So the the two keepers, of course, together settle and continue to pour over their studies, closing their eyes and searching for something that might have a chance of saving them all again. I love imagining them closing their eyes and like dumping the contents of the metal in their metal mines. Like they flip up the lid on their head and like (laughs) dump. But obviously that's not how it happens. But, you know, and like like a robot going through and reading its mind in like very old, like 90s hacker movie style where they're like chroming through the internet but it's you know thoughts and indexes and i don't know it's it's a it's a fun mental image yeah it's it's such a unique thing that branderson built into ferric me mm-hmm. in general like it's it, it's subtle i feel like it, yeah. it's more direct here but in passages past it was a lot more subtle and i don't know i just i find it really interesting Found it really cool. Again, though, and you you brought up a great justification, but this fe- this feels like a point where Sazed could have brought up the comparisons between Vin and Elendi because they're talking about dire circumstances and like racking mm-hmm. their brains for something relevant and something helpful. 
or not their brains, their copper mines, but you know, copper metal. These are copper mines. Yeah. Copper mines. They're all metal mines, but this is a copper mine. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels, it feels like now's the time to make jumps, you know? And yeah, right. Take the leap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can agree. Maybe we aren't quite panicked enough yet. Maybe we need to panic a little bit more. It's hard. When the army's at the door, like when they're, when they're like knocking on the door, you know, like they're like, please let me in, but with like swords and stuff. Do you think that's how they gain entrance to a city, Crossland? (laughs) That's how I gain entrance anywhere. Do you not, do you not like, why wouldn't they? That's how I do it. Please let me in. (laughs) Please let me in. It's like DoorDash, right? Like they send you a photo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Knock on your door and send you a photo. <laughs> just a photo of a sword like stuck in the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have arrived. <laughs> your invasion has arrived. Okay. <laughs> so we, we switch to um, Ellen here, wishing that he could have done more for his people. He even stoops as low to compare himself and humble himself by saying that the Lord Ruler has done better for his people than he did, but he quickly realizes that it isn't true and kind of kills that that kind of negative self-talk within him. But God, can you blame him for like having that negative self-talk at all in these moments? He's got armies facing him down on all sides. You know, it's like... Yeah, I mean he's... The armies are a huge deal, but he's he's taking the initiative of the people, you know? He's doing what he has to for the people. Uh, maybe that's not this point, is it? When he's like, no, that's later. Figure, yeah, that not, is later. not quite, not quite there. Okay, yeah, this is him moping, right? He's moping around on the top. Yeah, and like Demu pulls him inside because he's like, it's not good for people to see you moping. Like, yeah, yeah, but he he does stand up for himself pretty well. Right, right. You know, is this is this the point where Tindwill tests him, or is that later too? That's later too. Yeah, I okay. think he walks in. It's when he walks in, which is just a little bit later. I do actually have that that quote in the notes because I find it fucking hilarious. So, yeah, that's a little bit later. This is this is like just beginning when we switch and he, he has these like massive self-doubts. And he also starts to even like, you know, and we can we can move on from like the negative self-talk he has there because we get more of it later. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Pulled back inside by Demu. Well, I mean, when he's thinking about Vin, you know, like. That's even no, more. No, I'm, that was a sarcastic. What? Oh yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> are people having negative self-talk? How weird. But Ellen is pulled back inside by Demu and says that he plans on attending meetings. Still, the the meetings with the Church of the Survivor, even after his deposition. This really reinforces that morally, like up uprighteous uproaridness that he has that we know Ellen for always. You know, kind of doing what he says, no matter what, following through consistently without fail especially if and when it leads to his failures directly. I mean, this is that moral paladin. The, I mean, you keep bringing it up, so I'm going to keep bringing it up, I think. But the idea of the moral paladin, mm-hmm. and the people recognize that. And I don't know. It's upsetting that the rest of the leadership doesn't act in this way. You know? Like, yeah, they could be doing something but instead, most mm-hmm. of them are worrying about the titles that can be bestowed upon them and making sure that that's secured. And But I don't know what the ska leadership is doing. Like the, the eight ska assemblymen. Does it, do yeah. they ever talk about that? What they're doing now? Yeah. Because they've been promised I, titles no. as well. But are they working with Ellen? He's kind of lone wolfing it, I think, at yeah. this point. He's not, he's not really doing... 
Yeah. But he's not a gl- I think it's, he's not a great collaborator that Elland. He actually yeah, is a good collaborator, fair. but you know. I mean he kinda I don't know. Yeah. If he's he, if he's to the QB, extent. he um, you know, he's I don't know he's enough about pretty sports, good at man. giving the ball to yeah, I know. <laughs> he's pretty good at giving the ball to the other team. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know why I brought a sports <laughs> metaphor into this. Um, You're not good at sports either. <laughs> yep. <laughs> here we are. Now um, we're here. But it's it's such an upstanding move, I think. And unexpected even from Demu. Like you would think the church would want him to follow through anyway. And they seem surprised or Demu seems surprised by it, and he kind of feels like a leader, at least in the sect that he was talking to, or in like the branch that he was talking to yeah and and seems genuinely surprised that ellen's like planning on still continuing to to attend and join so i don't know i love his conviction in that. i think it's i think it's great that he is convicted right this is something that he needs to follow through on especially because it's such a it would feel really shitty from a writing perspective as well like from from an authorial perspective to be like okay i'm gonna pull on this and i'm gonna do this thing and then to kind of just like drop that thread entirely it's great that ellen because of his character is going to follow through on something like this mm-hmm. i can see an inferior writer character a different character making a very different decision to be like okay well that didn't work i'm gonna ditch that and like never talk about it ever again yeah i think he genuinely believes in it too though doesn't believe in like the the mysticism of it or like the religious or not religiosity but the not the supernatural aspect of it sure. god can we call it supernatural even at this point because allomancy is kind of supernatural allomancy is a magic system so sure i mean you could call it mm-hmm. i mean it 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 is it is natural on scadriel so okay fair yeah, I, I don't think he believes in in that part of it, but I think he truly is like he believes in what Kelsier was fighting for, maybe to a more refined state and extent. But I don't think there's anything that strictly conflicts with Kelsier's point of view, other than like kill all the noblemen, kill them all, <laughs> including myself. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a fair point. I think that a lot of even the ide- ideology of the Church of the Survivor doesn't so closely adhere to the things that kelsier was kind of advocating for necessarily like it's it is it is there and it does advocate in broad terms kind of tenets of what he believed but it is not so hyper specific as to you know get all get all that minutiae in about all of his different individual beliefs it's it's that general picture that everyone saw when the ghost of kelsier was running around explaining and really kind of founding the church in the end more or less right yeah so Mm -hmm. Nothing else? Good? Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm good on that one. Yeah, cool. I, I really enjoy that while Vin is having her issues with their relationship, Ellen is also having his own, but driven completely by his perception of her. She's this force of nature, and he's such a failure that he couldn't even hold on to the throne she gave him at the end of the last book. He questions that love as such, but it's not as severe as Vin's is on herself, of course, because she has all of this negative talk, you know, kind of submerged. She's submerged in it her entire life and doesn't carry that exact same baggage. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on, on Ellen and his self-talk. So this is kind of the point I was trying to make before, or I think I touched on it a little bit before, because he comes across as kind of naive about, yeah. like, what she cares about and and why she's acting the way that she is Mm -hmm. since 
all that's changed is the fact that he got deposed or that he he didn't win the crown back. And going on that thread, maybe it isn't naive at all. Like since we're in his head, I feel like he would if it was such a big deal, him mm-hmm. seeing her like brutally fucking murder that dude, that would come up. And since it's not Maybe he's not actually putting that much weight into it. Maybe that flinch wasn't actually that significant. And like, it's going to take some very direct conversation between the two of them to resolve this. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. like, I think, I think they're both, they both have their, their own insecurities about things, especially when it comes to each other at this point that, I think it's going to be sort of the friends problem or the Seinfeld problem of man, just being able to communicate would really solve all these problems, huh? (laughs) (laughs) If everyone was a good communicator, we would have none of these issues. Well, or specifically like that is in reference to like, if they all had cell phones, like none of these shows would happen. Like none of these, none of these episodes make sense if they can all just text each other. Right. So it's not the same, but if they just communicate, like this can get resolved pretty quickly, but they're yeah. not going to, and it's going to, like, it's going to be a drain on both of them. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. And it is, it is, you know, sim- the fact that these are happening simultaneously, I think is another aspect too, right? So they're, they're kind of naturally pushing each other away, but for very different reasons, you know, I, not pushing each other away even, but like internally internalizing these things. Vin thinks it's because of the horror. Ellen's doing it because of, you know, his, what does he bring to the relationship? He doesn't bring anything. He brought, he lost the fucking crown that she gave him. You know, that's a, that's a kind of heartbreaking way to put it, huh? Yeah. Like seeing it as a gift from Vin. I think Vin would resent that. First of all. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And like, I don't know, man, it's a hard thing to parse. Yeah, it is. It's really complicated. I feel that. All right. So I want to I want to I want to start with this quote because I fucking love this quote. It's one of my favorites in the in the novel. He knocked quietly and got no response. Finally, he poked his head in. Sazed and Tindwell sat quietly before a desk piled high with scraps of paper and ledgers. They both sat staring as if nothing, as if at nothing, their eyes bearing the glazed over look of someone who had been stunned. Sazed's hand rested on the table. Tindwell's rested on top of it. And like, okay, very cute gesture. Like, it's it's very cute. But I love how, like, accurately and acutely this, like, describes their creepy robot stares when they're pouring over their metal mines. Because that's exactly how I imagine it. Like, just go, eyes rolling back and be like, (laughs) (laughs) shaking as they, but I mean, obviously they're not shaking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, it's, it is, like, I think of it as kind of creepy straight up mm-hmm. like yes very cute <laughs> very cute by cute i mean like, the hand thing i mean the yeah. hand thing is cute yeah no i right. know exactly yeah. but ah oh, man it imagine just walking into that as ellen is right now like if you didn't know about their copper mines what would you think condra get him <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah it's uh it's kind of ridiculous mm-hmm but super cool. Super, super, yeah. super cool. 
Yeah. I really just like that portrayal. I don't know. It, it just gets me each time. And then, I mean, ultimately we get like right almost immediately after this when when they kind of like wake up and spring out of it, we get the insult from Tindwill. <laughs> That's this point. Like, okay. Okay. Like just like immediately. <laughs> and he's like <laughs> and he just disarms it and deflects it. Well, says it's like trying to stand up for him and he's like no, 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 I got this. <laughs> you know, it's it's a good moment of character growth and it's like okay, Tindwill didn't mean it. She was just, you know, well, maybe she did mean it. I don't know. It's so hard to read Tindwill in that way. It's like, did you mean it or are you just trying to push my buttons so that you elicit a reaction? Yeah. She's pretty sneaky. this is kind of a fun side of the character to explore now Mm -hmm. understanding that what she does with ellen is for lack of a better term a character that she's putting on being more of a hard ass and when he calls her out on it and like he's like yeah i know that's a test i love her little shrug (laughs) she just kind of shrugs and ends the exchange but i do appreciate how he's able to adjust justify her staying and not choosing sides as she right. sort of comments about and by basically stating like i'm not king anymore and just a man seeking truth or something like that i think that's pretty close mm-hmm. to the quote that thought process by tindall though that she's like choosing sides kind of seems ridiculous because anybody that's like opposing them right now would be putting the ska into subjugation again clearly like that's been explicitly mentioned by three two different leaders three different people if you include penrod yeah yeah so either way like that's that's going to happen i think it's only fair to assume that the terrorist men like the terrorist people would be going back into servitude as well likely i think they might have to be reconquered but i think you're right yeah so for that reason i don't understand why it'd be a problem to like ally themselves with Ellen. Yeah. I, I think it's because it's not so strictly stated by the synod, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So either way, Tindwell's kind of doing her own lawyering of the, of the situation and going against what she's supposed to do without actually like breaking any rules. So kind of cool. Kind of fun. Cool. You're kind of fun. Um, I, I really love says it's affirmation of Ellen's decision here. And I think that it's a fantastic moment to kind of opine about the reality of the decision that Ellen has made. This Just isn't pause one real quick. Can you define opine for me? It's, it's the other form of opinion. It's the same thing. It's like to, to talk about. So right? like a, a to share opinions of on. opinion. Yeah. Okay. Same, same idea. So like when Pierce Brown, the reason that I put this in is it was like a Pierce Brown Easter egg for people who listen and have also read Pierce Brown's tweet about like my editor has opined and now I'm on round two. So gotcha. I was just using it as a sentence to be funny. Well, sorry to throw off the flow. <clears throat> no, it's cool. It's kind of funny. But yeah, so the idea that it's it's an opinion, right? So it's I, I think that it's a time for us to take and we can reflect on this a little bit on the decision that Ellen made. This isn't one that you ever really get to see in classical fantasy novels. This is something that's very different. The good guy paladin always wins the political stuff and typically struggles with the other things like killing the dragon or, you know, there's there's some other conflict that gets in the way of saving the maiden in you know, like really old classical fantasy. So 
this is kind of an inversion in a lot of ways of, of that trope. And we end up inside of this little section getting to interrogate that idea and what it means to be a good person versus a good leader and whether it ever makes sense to, you know, compromise yourself to be one or the other. Yeah. So this is where that sort of providence slash God slash religion conversation comes in with Sazed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's kind of the same, same note. Yeah. We learned that sazed has been offering like, religions to Ellen like he did for uh Kelsier. I think he he said half dozen of them or something, which is I don't know, we don't see that at all, but it's kind of it brings more solidity to the idea that says it respects him in the same way that, same way that he respected Kelsier. So, yeah. I don't know. It, it would have been easy to guess that and assume that, but at least that's a little bit more concrete. He kind of implies that God is the one bestowing this moral sense upon Ellen and showing him what's right. And you, and now we, keep kind of pressing on this moral paladin thing. And it gives a little bit more structure to that. If we lean into the idea that it's a, a providence, like a sort of divine interaction or interaction intervention a divine interaction <laughs> 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 numb tongue numb tongue <laughs> if it's like a divine intervention to sort of yeah. push him in this direction and like tell him what's actually right and what's not i don't buy that necessarily but yeah i i think i think you're giving it a, li- a lot more loft than i think says is trying to give it if that makes sense i think says is trying to say that ev- i do i do I, so uh, here's here's what i would say in in conversation with what says is kind of pointing to he's kind of saying that every being has a divine will right like every being has a divine like direction or instrumentation provided by god right okay and so it's yeah, less yeah, yeah. it's less that it's like ellen's job and responsibility it's more like you have a moral character and you should center yourself around that moral character. And that was given to you, you know, by God and base. Okay. Form. I think that's what, I think that that was my interpretation at the very least, but no, that makes complete sense. And I think that you're right. It still fits the moral. It still fits the rest of what you're saying. I just think it's less lofty. Yeah. I was extrapolating a little bit more. Yeah. um, Saying it was a direct intervention rather than just kind of his nature in general yeah so yep yep good point yeah um but either way it would give more structure to that moral paladin sort of idea if he decides to embrace it yeah and i think he is i think that's kind of what we see to some degree i don't I, think I he have is some, i think he pushes well, against I, it entirely i think i think we've got something to talk about in the next chapter for sure including stabbing a friend mostly stabbing a friend um and maybe murdering a creature <laughs> but uh, there's some weird shit going on with Ellen right in this moment. But I think I think I mostly stand on Sazed's analysis of Ellen up until this point, which is to say, you know, he's consistently doing the right thing for the right reasons and that he should not change what he has done and that maybe good men aren't going to be kings and maybe that's the reality or maybe you're not meant to be a king. It's kind of a it, that's an interpretation of of where this spins, but yeah. But at the same time, you kind of get a contradiction to that when talking about like what it means to be kingly. Yeah. In a little bit. I think that's like the next the next section, right? Right, right. And that's literally literally what happens right here, and that's what leads him to this 
sort of turnaround, right? So Ellen comes to realize it, it seems by the end of this chapter and after this kind of confrontation that being a king isn't just a title bespo- bestowed upon you by others, but kingliness is earned by the actions you take. And I'm extrapolating a bit there from what's what's actually said, right? But that that is the conclusion that Ellen's character seems to draw because he becomes a man of action in that moment as opposed to a man of words. Like this is that same flip where it's like, okay, I got to do things to to be be what I am. With Ellen, we've got a very different you know, very different king on the table. Tindwell through it's the king end of diamonds, of this, you know, what was that through the end of this chapter? Tindwell still seems kind of stuck on the idea that he gave up his titles or he, yeah. he allowed his titles to be um, lost, but at the same time kind of mentions that like she continues to give him advice on like what to do and what makes somebody kingly. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you mentioned. She regards trust as one of the big points, which he super takes to heart. And I loved the ending to this section. Like after that, that's kind of like ringing in his ears a little bit. And he walks to his closet and like opens it up to the to the king uniform that he's been wearing. I don't know what to make of it. It's motivation, but it's also belittlement to a, to a little bit of an extent. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. I just want to look at it real quick. I love that Ellen also reflects and says, you know, I won't continue to fret and worry. Tindwell taught me better than that, even if she never really understood me. Like there's there's a lot of that where it's like. Ellen is now becoming. A combination of the influence of his his sort of study and the teachings of Tindwell. Right. And so maybe he's not he is still a moral paladin by all by all means beginnings whatever but he is he is starting to change and realize that he doesn't need to just take the holistic advice advice from tindwell says its point here i think drives home the fact that i need to be me but i can inform me with other things i can inform me with other information and data and so i think he's pulling in this is finally his realization of okay i need to be this man that i am that god divined that created me whatever blah blah blah. i am i'm that man and I can add and inform that with other information. I can inform that with Tyndall's opinion and blend it together into what I know I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still kind of smitten by smitten. Maybe isn't the right term, but kind of taken by the character that Tyndall puts on how she's so quick to snap into that sort of tough guy attitude with ellen yeah and snap out of it when when he calls her out it's a little out of place to say that right here but i don't know i'm still thinking no i mean i'm also taken with that i love i i really enjoy this week's reading it's very short we're going our average episode length because it's so good because there's a lot that happens yeah and it's very deep on ellen like we 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 really get to talk and expose a lot of ellen's character here and the conjura and otherwise so this is really kind of our this is our like we're starting to hit that rising action point before we we would will enter a climax that'll take four weeks to get through. Fair. <laughs> With that, we move in. Any other thoughts in this chapter before I move on? I don't think so. Cool. I think we covered it pretty well. Awesome. With that, we move into chapter forty-two. Here we start with the logbook, of course, as always. So here we have. Some of you may know of my fabled memory. It is true. I need not a ferrochemist's metal mind to memorize a sheet of words in an instant. Okay, so Quan has an eidetic memory. Yeah. Do you have any... Do you have any... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. It's new. That's different. And 
kind of braggy, you know? Super braggy. I wonder if it's hyperbolic, I think. Like, I'd, I'd go as far to say, like, maybe photographic memory. And in an instant is just, when I read it, I remember it, you know? But... Who knows at this point with this fucking guy? Your frustration with Khan growing over the book is exactly how I felt. I was like, what the fuck does this mean? What the fuck does any of this mean in my in my first pass? Yeah. I it's, still uh, don't think all of these are in the same tome. The same rubbing, you mean? Yeah. I don't know, though. There are just some okay. that... This one feels fine. Ah, no, this one seems weird. This one seems weird, too. He's to have bragging. on something that he's hastily trying to put together with a limited amount of space one one could argue that the reason that he's saying this is because he's saying that i have an unmistakable memory and so take these words as what happened yeah that's fair but i mean just because he remembers everything properly doesn't mean he has to present the truth yeah and it also doesn't mean that you know he's not just a you know pj's of the opinion that we're being lied to actively here i see yep all right yeah uh, to me it feels very braggy braggadocious and i'm like okay where's this going Quan? like where where are we going we know that your mind meanders and that you're you've said this before that you get off topic and get tangential let's uh let's get somewhere with this as it were cool so we move back to elland right and he's making a plan to save as many of the ska as he can as they're freezing in their stone houses that were previously like little venture houses that people lived in underneath them and helping them move into kind of the warmer old ska tenement buildings he runs into Gordell, the guard that vin spared at the end of the last book who ended up being critical to saving her life who gives him a report while most of the furniture is gone from all of these different places there's plenty of wood left still that could help save citizens of luthadel from the cold an important thing here ellen's doing kingly shit without being a king anymore yeah you know there's that like there there's a lot of good that's here and i'm not going to say something bad but something different here is he's beginning to divorce himself from the idea that everything that the Lord Ruler did was bad, inherently. Or at least he's not rejecting everything the Lord Ruler did simply because the Lord Ruler did it. Maybe that's yes, a better way to put it. I think that's a great way of putting it. So he's, he's recognizing that, hey, the way that the Ska lived before was super efficient. And we need to get really lean. Let's Let's make sure that if... If people don't want to live or if people don't want to freeze, try to convince them to leave these like giant stone mansions um, that are hard to heat. So obviously the Lord Ruler wasn't hurting for coin. like He wasn't strapped for cash or anything like that. But he, no, Lord he Ruler didn't want to spend AF, extra. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it wasn't even necessarily yeah. the Lord Ruler himself, but the the lords that ruled over the the ska didn't want to spend extra money on the ska so they were as efficient as possible in keeping them alive and turns out that's pretty helpful when you're trying to stretch a buck as a kingdom <laughs> and, like, <laughs> keep all your people yeah, when you're under siege safe yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of a perfect way to make sure your resources are being used in the most efficient way so I thought that was a really cool change shift in like looking at the Lord Ruler and what 
what positives can come from that regime. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that it's also, I think at the last, in at the beginning of the last chapter too, this is a nice little uh, mirror. He's like, the Lord Ruler held on to his kingdom better than I did. Like, the Lord Ruler was a piece of shit garbage man, and mm-hmm. he did a much better job than I did. And so, like you said, this is that spinning, this interpretation of, okay, well, maybe there was a reason and rationale to some of these things, and maybe I can start to extrapolate that and apply, you know, some lessons. Again, I think he's finally starting to pull in a lot of these other things from external things that he hasn't chosen to like acknowledge before versus texts that he specifically sought out like ellen was very much a self-taught man it was just like what i read was the holy book and there's nothing else and there can be nothing else and now he's like okay let me think about these teaching and ideologies and it really took tindwell i think to break him of that yeah he's tindwell is absolutely paramount in that i don't think there's any way that he gets to this position without Tindwell. And I'm really curious how he would have reacted getting deposed without Tindwell on his side. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Because I think it would have been a problem. Yeah. I think it would have been a big problem. And I I could have seen him getting like assassinated just so they didn't have to deal with his like complaining and I don't know. I don't know. I think he I think yeah. I'm trying to like parse it out and it's not really grounded in anything, but I think most of his decisions that he makes, even on this sort of moral paladin front that we've been talking about are because of Tindwell, Mm -hmm. like without her and her teachings on like how to act like a King, I think he would have totally spent way more time pouring through the rule or the laws that he put together, trying to find a loophole yeah right for good reason to try to like stay in power in order to keep everybody safe from the impending like armies but i think he's he's a lot more grounded now and is making better decisions entirely because of her but that's not really what this section is about so sorry for the rant Okay, I mean, rants are fine. We, we'll take rants. We take rants here. Next up on the agenda of shit Ellen doesn't have to deal with anymore, but is, is felt with information about the poisoning of the wells. Uh, he says they the poisoners aren't coming through the pass walls, which we find out now exist. There are walls that people are sneaking through to, to get in and out of the city, but they are coming in through the river, and Ellen gives him a plan to catch them. Larn, a young man, however, offers a different opinion, that it's an inquisitor roaming the streets that poisoned them wells i'm inclined to believe and based on our knowledge it's not at all ellen's knowledge or the people's knowledge or anything like that but i'm inclined to believe that it's actually the river like the greats in the river that are that are like the source of this problem and this inquisitor is marsh though i don't remember if marsh if anything happened to marsh like no marsh is still around Yeah. yeah i think this is marsh he ran off yeah doing something in town oh yeah marsh i miss marsh we'll see him again i'm sure are you sure do you mean i am but i can't i can't actually like give you i know exactly what happens (laughs) but i can't like give you details or anything like that i know i'm fucking with you yeah right yeah i i really enjoy that that ellen has to deconstruct all of these issues right and that he's working his way through them and i appreciate that he kind of gives gives a lot of different people their their say in court because he is 
he's not really in charge, which I think he also elaborates. And it's like, well, what if they tell us not to? What if the assembly tells us to stop? Then it's like, well, then we'll stop. But until then, we're going to take care of people and we're going to do this. And until they can't until they tell me to stop, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fucking doing it. So they do. Yeah, it's nice. Next up on the shit Ellen has to deal with, Ham <laughs> arrives. <laughs> Ham shows up and makes a comment about Ellen wearing his old uniform again and says that he wishes no one had to wear a uniform, to which Ellen points out that even Ham's lack of a coat in the cold weather screams thug and is effectively what wear and that is effectively what wearing clothes does. Changes how people react to you and informs them. Yeah, I, I just I like this nice nice little uh, you know. So this kind of but it is quick, but it, I think, is important for me for kind of an external reason. But staying staying with these characters for a little bit, the way Ham responds here reminds me of the old Ham and sort of gives a spark of that a little bit. Even though, like, there's the sort of question, like, you didn't, you didn't talk about this with Breeze. I'm, I'd be there's still something weird with ham and i i'm thinking more and more that it's just kind of the weight of everything that's been put on him like uh, just what's on his shoulders but either way ellen has a great point in that like uniforms don't have to be official they just have to be kind of announcing what you are and it's making me think about zane and the fact that he doesn't wear a mist cloak so I'm not sure where that thought's going to go. Like, I, I really don't know. It's kind of preliminary, but it's absolutely going to be on my mind next time we're talking to Zane and next time we're in his perspective. So we'll see. But I think that's going to stick with me a little bit. Okay. All right. That's that's a really interesting read on it. I had never thought about the that utility and use but i think that this again then reinforces the, the thought about the dress if we want to pull it out of context a little bit informs that's the way that people react and behave to you yeah totally fair so the fact that we know that vin is armed in the dress should inform our decision on i'm i'm only mumbling into this because it feels like <laughs> i've yeah. said this eight dozen times but um, but the dress is, or like the dress externally looks like a dress so yeah, like, worn, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if hidden compartments and hidden alterations to make it work better as a Mistborn apply that much. Okay. Right. right. I mean, fair. Yeah. But yeah, this is point. specifically about appearance, but it's like, you know, good point. This is also maybe then that's a point to say appearances are deceiving with the dress. Yeah. Anyway. So we then move on to Ellen and Ham hatching a plan as they are sure they're stuck in another deadlock between Set and Straff with Set locked inside the walls with them. To me, this just screams when I wrote that. I was like, this screams Rorschach in the lunchroom. You know, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. (laughs) (laughs) So he he takes his horse out one of the past tunnels and does something absolutely crazy, rides directly into the Coloss camp. There's a lot of fun beats that happen right around this. Anything yeah. you want to talk about? Yeah. I want to talk about the grandmother. Oh, grandma. Yeah, she's sweet. Yeah. Granny. Yeah. I can't yeah. what what was her name? I don't I don't remember her name either. I'll find it. Keep talking okay. about her. Yeah. So specifically what I like about Granny here is it it's a tool to get us to talk more about ham's background yes i love ham's background here totally and learning that he grew up in luthadel did we already know that 
Or did it? No, this is kind of a this is kind of a big reveal. And the fact that he would sneak his his wife and child into the city through here, which I don't quite understand that so much. What do you mean? Hilda, by the way. Hilda. Hildy, Hilda, yeah. Why are they not just in the city somewhere? Because he's afraid of people finding them, finding them out, because he does, you know, these dangerous jobs and things like that. Okay, okay, that makes sense. from the city so that they aren't implicated in it. And have to be snuck in in order to spend time. Okay. Okay, I get that. Marta is his wife's name. Marta. Hildy and Marta, yeah. Hildy is grandma. Yep. Okay. But he's been kind of working with her for a long time as a child mm-hmm. would come in and out of this this tunnel and it's like a five minute walk from keep hasting or yeah from venture keep venture venture keep from keep venture yeah. oh by the way earlier you said venture bros or you said venture brothers i did um, yeah and i didn't think venture bros whoops yeah yeah error uh i meant to make a comment on that but <laughs> sorry idle <laughs> two <flashback>. hours later <laughs> <laughs> anyway this is such a bold move of ellen like this is crazy and i love him for it the only the only complaints i have and maybe it's done because of sort of the clunkiness of the writing or just like the flow of the story i would have thought he'd go and see vin before this just in case you know not tell her what was happening but just like see her again before leaving but i'm intrigued that that's what you called out versus for me it's the fact that we there this has happened twice in a row week to week right my biggest issue is that we're introduced to past walls and then in the same chapter we're using them so it's like if that makes sense there's that Um, but we hadn't we hadn't had a need to learn about the past walls yeah and that's where i can forgive it but at the same time what feels rewarding is when you give Chekhov's gun time to sit in the in the in the drawer you know that's fair and totally fair oh the pass walls are the solution there you know so yeah but then again everything's moving so quickly because it has to again i'm not i'm not really harping on it i'm just saying this is one of Mm -hmm. those things where it's it's a page later we're using it because it's specifically been mentioned it's like okay well yeah yeah i I think it minor thing honestly i think it would have been even i think it would have been better if they didn't reveal it first and he was just talking to ham about like oh wouldn't that be an interesting thing to do if only we could get get around the armies and ham's like i got you yeah and we we get good reasons and rationales as to why we Mm -hmm. haven't known about these and that's because ham has been suspect of of anyone else knowing about them and what that would mean Right. Um, I'm just saying, like, if they hadn't talked about the pass walls yeah. before and Ham just like Ham's the one that introduce it, introduces it to him here, like mm-hmm. he's leading him here to get out yeah, and right. do the plan. Right. That could have been cool. I, I hadn't taken note of it and hadn't taken issue with it. By the way, this but, was an extra screwdriver for everyone who is watching along very nice i'm slowly nursing another cocktail anyway (laughs) it was another secret the whole time anyway yeah yeah i don't i don't see a need to really dwell on that in general yeah agreed and and like i said i it's not that big of a deal it's a small thing this is like of all the things this would this doesn't knock the book down at all it's just one of those things where it's happened a couple of times it's like 
generally prefer check out this gun this is already the longest book in this series by a bit it's longer than hero of ages so very clearly he probably had more and he probably cut it down because it was like you can't you know you got to get some of the stuff out to make sure that the story flows so i can imagine this being something that was probably planned for ahead of time and then got reduced down to the only section that's relevant in so totally fair yeah, but I, I love I love Grandma Hildy. I think Grandma Hildy is great. I think that also like all of her grand grandchildren, grand that she says, and she's like, I'll leave him out there. God knows I have enough of them <laughs> or something like that. Grandsons, I think. Yeah, grand, Which, grandsons. That's I, I'm guessing are just children in the area, like the the people that she interacts with, because it seems like everybody calls her grandmother. So naturally, yeah. she calls everybody grandson or grandchild. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So Ellen approaches a field that has been gnawed flat and suddenly we're back with the Coloss. We get a neat amount of world building here saying that they can be controlled crudely with swords, which I think is fascinating. And they they say something kind of kind of funny. They claim in all their blue stretched skin glory cuts uh, kind of everywhere on their skin to be human and that they're going to take the city and then live in it. Like humans, because mm-hmm. they are human. What what do you think about this this whole section with the with the little coloss here? I'm not quite sure why it struck me, but I really liked that comment. It was yeah. funny, but it was also aspirational to a certain extent. I think aspirational is a great way to put that. Yeah, it gave this unique motivation for the entire army. Like they want civilization and they want more sophistication, or at least like they want to get out of their current lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I assume that this is being pushed by Josties and like he's using it as a means of control, but it, it's weirdly nice to see and like weirdly touching. I think that's also why, and we will definitely, we can talk about this near the end too. I think that's also why Josties is doing such a good job controlling them with currency is because it makes them feel civilized. They're being we paid. Don't technically know that it's currency. Well, we don't know that it's coin. He's paying them, right? He is paying but them, but yeah, we don't we, know we what's don't, in those. We don't necessarily know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that they're paying them. The point being, though, is that that adds a layer to civilization, like you're saying. It's it's that civilized nature, and it's what they're, like, striving for is to, you know, be more like humans. <laughs> yeah. Be humans. They are humans. Yeah. They're not Coloss. Specifically, they're not Coloss. Not Coloss. Yeah. Specifically, <laughs> the big blue dude, skin ripped flesh, very scary, eats your horse later, <laughs> says, we're humans. We're not Coloss. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate the, the like, horse disappearing bit that <laughs> happens later, and it's like, what the fuck? I, I totally, I think I missed that in my first, in my first read through this book and I caught it this time and I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> that's a pretty good bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. And the fact that like the field is not flat, like everything's missing. Like the, the grass has been pulled out of the ground is really, really odd. Yeah. It's strange. Unique. I don't know. Love it. Love but it. it's super cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's I super like cool. It. Love Love the coloss. Do you do you have any? So we maybe I'll ask. I'll ask this at the end. I'll, I'll hold that one until the end. Ellen finally meets up with Zoldfer and Josties. I, I find this a truly fascinating conversation as Josties also tried Ellen's ways and failed, and saw everyone he knew and loved killed for it. What do you make to be the difference between Ellen's approach and the path that Josties describes? Also, for the record, this is way better in audiobook. This little it's section, like Josties, 
Josty's speaking is so much better. You feel the pain and the torment that this character has been through, wherein just reading it, you don't get that because there's no description of like any reactions or anything like that. So really yeah. hats off to Michael Kramer for that because it breeds life into this bit. I'd be, yeah, I'd be curious if he had any note, like any notes on how to read this or if he just, I think he makes notes for the most part. Most audiobook from my knowledge of listening to interviews, they generally read through the book and then like take some notes and then they read through it again and take some notes and then they'll do like chapters or scenes and then have like okay. a director maybe be listening and be like, consider this. Okay. Perfect. So. But this exchange and this conversation adds complication and similarly motivation to Jossie's actions with this. I'm sure there's a name for this trope, but I don't know what it is. And I, I know that this exists outside of the star Wars universe, but it had this weird hint of sort of the Obi-Wan Anakin corruption path relationship sort of interaction. Mm. Okay. Of like two, two people with a very similar like origin. And there was like an event that really corrupted one of them. And now they're opposing each other. Cause I mean, what, what Jossie's faced was super tragic and unfortunately, Ellen really didn't respond in a compassionate way here. Not at all. This is and really odd. Like, she, this is a really odd response. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty big fuck up, I think. I'm curious to see how Josty's actually set up his rule and set up his, his dominance and how it all turned to shit. You know? Mm-hmm. It'd be more because interesting to get the granular breakdown. Yeah. It would. Because Ellen... While it failed with him at the helm, he had it very well set up with contingencies and there was a path out that wasn't murder you and all of your family, you know? So maybe that's the biggest difference. Like if this wasn't set up the same way as Ellen set it up so meticulously, maybe he would have faced a similar fate. He almost did anyway. Yeah. Been kind of it's saved. <laughs> true, actually, very true. Like to to Zane's point, the only one of the biggest differences between Jossie's and Ellen is Vin and the entirety of the crew of the Survivor. Like that's those are some critical points that help reinforce everything that Ellen was able to pull off. And that's why I actually I feel like Ellen made the wrong call here. This is one of the few things that I like fully. I fully disagree with. I don't think it was the right move to to come here and insult Jasties. I do I do appreciate the conversation that they have, but I don't I don't think that Ellen was sincerely approaching it the right way. No. I also think that Ellen's reaction to like being offered the alcohol and whatnot, like he was he was trying to be like buddies with his drinking buddy, right? Like this is this is his friend trying to do the friendly thing that they were doing forever before. This is Ellen showing that he's changed and like owning up to the kingly nature of, you know, what what he's altered his life to do. And I guess the only rationale with which I can approach and appreciate what Ellen decided to do here is he's doing it for Luthadel. But he is doing it at the loss of arguably his closest friend from the previous novel, like his uh, childhood best friend, maybe something like that. But yeah, at the same time, his childhood best friend is riding up on Luthadel because he thinks he can best Ellen and take, Well, he, you know, he's not like exactly. He, yeah. 
There's a lot you know, more to like, it than that. The, yeah. That's not a nuanced he was seeking way to an alliance. It, yeah, he was seeking an alliance more than anything else. But at the same time, you can see Jossie's corruption via the discussion of power. And so that's also why he's in charge of this Coloss army is because he's holding as powerful of troops as he can. So there's a little bit yeah. of wax and wane there between the two. And I think Ellen sees it as an act of aggression. Yeah. Because it's another army on his on his doorstep. So I think he, he has to sort of take... From his point of view, he sort of has to take the initiative and be imposing to the best of his ability. Do something dramatic. Both both for Luthadel and for himself. And like the perception of him in the eyes of Vin, first of all, from his perspective. Like he needs to he needs to like reinstate his sort of kingly position in Vin's eyes. He doesn't, right. but he thinks so. And mm-hmm. and everybody else, maybe this can persuade them to listen to him more. I don't know. There's a few different things that I could see this being like there's a few different reasons why I could see this happening. But either way, like no matter what, it feels odd. But we kind of have to take it yeah. with with face value. So Definitely. Definitely. I, I just want to mention this quote because I, I really love it. it. It fits into exactly what we're saying. The losses are what defines a man's faith. And this is interesting as it's coming from Alan's mouth. And, and he doesn't mean he's not thinking about loss the way that Josties is either in this moment. Right. Like Josties is like, I just told you that I lost my entire family for believing in you and your ideals and like what you stood for. And you're telling me that those losses are what defines a man's faith in this shit. Fuck you. Yeah. Ellen's point was like failing <laughs> is, is what defines like faith like that. That's supposed to be that bit. And, and so this gets a little jumbled in terms of message here, but it, it does. Even if the message was perfectly oh, clear, it was bad. Yeah, it's, it's a bad time a bad to say thing. that. Yeah, like, this is like man. negotiate failure. This is like roll a d20, rolling a nat one, a nat one, and a nat one in a row. Like, this is just, <laughs> what the fuck? And so he switched to stabbing him, because he's like, that's how I'm going to convince him. I'm going to stab him. Putting this in D&D parlance makes it really <laughs> believable in this context. Man, so stabbing him. I'm just going to try to justify it. I don't think it's the right move, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to try yeah. to justify it. I think what it can do... And I think what he's trying for is to show Josties that he's evolved and he's become less of an armchair philosopher. And he's trying to be, for lack of a better term, he's trying to be a philosopher king. Yeah, yeah. And trying to trying to be this well-rounded warrior and philosopher and like moral paladin. Like we've been talking about. And maybe he's trying to convince him to like ally himself with like convince Josties to ally himself with Elland. I'm not sure what that would look like, but I think that's I think you you mentioned it before. That seemed to be kind of what Josties was going for in the first place. But Ellen didn't know that, you know, like it, it Ellen saw this as an act of aggression. So like when when the act of aggression and open up discussions for an alliance potentially, but you know, you kind of have to start talking after that instead of just fucking leaving because then you're guaranteed that like, you're not going to open up more conversation after that. 
I don't know. This whole thing is fucked. I don't understand. Maybe he has a justification. I, I guess the justification is he was being imprisoned. Like the order was to to take him. So right. he attacked and escaped, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best justification, I guess, for like why he ultimately did it was to put him in his place, I guess. But yeah, this is... This is tough to parse. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't think that I can really say it better, to be honest. I think you've pieced out a lot of that very well. And also, like, the fact that he, like, he gets him and then he, like, pushes it in further. Like, that's a brutal move. And almost... And and then he, like, threatens his life and he's like, I could have killed you. I didn't because we were friends. And it's just like, you came to this... What would that have done to the Coloss? It would have sent them into an absolute raving band. They're already, like, dangerously unstable, but... Yeah. I don't think that's even on his mind at all. No, no, and I don't... Man. Hmm. It's all so weird. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And then there's that final scene, the very final scene of this chapter. Ellen's horse has gone missing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He needs to head back to Luthadel, of course, and adrenaline is still pumping from from what happened to him, you know, stabbing, the stabbing in the tent, the breaking of the other guy's nose when he threw his elbow backwards and whatnot. Ellen kills a very small colossus, uh, coloss, excuse me, a a five foot, five footer, (laughs) as it were. You know, it's no small feat, of course, a very big, muscular, you know, imposing creature for sure. But it does point something out to him. Jostes is controlling the Coloss the old fashioned way by paying them, as we said. What did you think about yeah. the fight with the Coloss? What a fucking scene, man. Like he he almost was in over his head. Pretty. Yeah. Pretty mm-hmm. close. He chose he chose right to go the smallest one available. What was like there was a lot that took me by surprise here. One more like more important than a lot of it is the fact that the Coloss they they stand back when they're fighting each other, but I figured they would like jump in if fighting someone else outside of their own troop, but they don't. They respect power, period. So watching watching a duel doesn't matter that the other opponent isn't also Coloss. So I I appreciated that. I think it makes for a really um, rich understanding of their like power structure and their their system of their loose system of governance outside of Jostis. But just his decision to attack the Coloss was really frustratingly confusing in the first place. You know, like I don't understand what Ellen's doing here. I think it was just rage and trying to like figure something out. So it was like he wanted to figure out why, how he was controlling them. And so he basically channeled rage to do so. I agree with you. He didn't even try asking. Yeah, no. (laughs) Which which he also says like, probably true. Probably true. They're very, you know, they're very humble beings outside of their humongous stature and size. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, but he had a conversation with the one that like killed the other one that was leading him. Yeah, you know, and he like asked him like what he did that for. He didn't ask him what's in the bags. That would have mm-hmm. been important. That would have been way easier. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what's going on yeah. with Ellen mm-hmm. here. Man possessed, you know. A man possessed, not yeah. actual possession given, but like you know. I I am excited. On a positive note, like 
just assuming everything is good. Like all the justifications work out. Everything's good. He had reasoning. Let's see if he had a reason outside of (laughs) fucking wanting to know what's in their coin purses. Well, he ate his horse, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I'm excited to see what this does for Ellen standing amongst the Coloss. Like, are they going to see him favorably because he decided to interact with like fighting someone? They seem to kind of respect it. Mm-hmm. They respect fighting. They respect power. So maybe, maybe the Coloss will be receptive to communication from Elland in the future because of this. That'd be cool. But yeah, who knows? It'd be very cool. Cool. With that, we move into our final logbook here to, to mention. Another really short one. The others call me mad, as I have said. And that may be true. Fucking this, Quan, dude. Has this been said before? No. Okay. Other things similar to it have been said before. Like, yeah. man, <laughs> fucking Quan. Oh. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? This also seems... <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this is on the same tome. It doesn't feel like it. Anything that's more like about him and using like conversational language, I feel like isn't on the same tome, you know? Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Cool. With that, we move into uh, PJ's predictions here and we do have one to pay off. We do have one to pay off here. So I, I'm going to pay it off because it feels appropriate because it was kind of a question about society and co-loss. So the question here, the statement rather, was lowering himself down from the tree. There's a question of what exactly these men are going to do to him, the co-loss. But they seem to have decent intentions. They walk him to the camp as they do. And as they do, Sazed sees two different things. One, a coloss killing another coloss seemingly for no reason. And two, a small pouch on their backs. What do you think about the society blooming here? You said... They seem like they've been promised something and must follow their orders, bringing any people to the king. Following my thought process from before, I wonder if the prom- the promise is integration into society. For that, they've been taught about money and have been ge- each given coins to begin their lives with within a city. So I think the fact that you're pointing towards society is the reason that I want to pay this one off. Like you're pointing towards them wanting to integrate uh, integration Integrate. Yeah, yeah totally totally so that's where i'm going to take the drink um because i think you nailed that idea on the head that's what they're seeking so cheers mm-hmm. i'll drink with you because that more defeats beer. the purpose but good for you <laughs> cool all right so that brings us to generally last week's question of the week i <laughs> folks did not pull <laughs> any of the answers that i received into this document because we decided to do this live on our discord this week so a little bit different so i'm not going to re-ask the same question but we'll be answering that question next week with that i don't think we're going to ask a question but if you want to send in your final answers about favorite political turn and misfortune in a story feel free to do so yeah we'll just push push the question basically for another week so if you feel the need feel free next week we will come armed with a new question so yeah, i don't we'll give worry answers. about that yeah don't worry um, about that. Crossland just mentioned and mentioned up top. This we we did a little bit differently. We did it live so anybody in our Discord was able to jump in and listen. I think we're going to plan on doing this more often. Maybe not every time. Definitely not every time. Once Definitely not every time. I'm, I'm promising maybe once a month. Okay. But I think it went well. It was fun. Yeah. People seem to be having fun in the chat. Those that were 
participating. So if you'd like to join us on that words and whiskey.com or no patreon.com slash words and whiskey, any of the, I think it's the $4 tier and above. Is that all yep. of the tiers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. We're just offering this to everyone. Yeah. So, so any tier, whenever we do that, you are invited. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's it for things there. Cool. With that, next week, we will be reading chapters 43 through 47. Again, chapters 43 through 47. So that's where we'll leave you for the week. Thank you, as always, to Tim and Andrew for keeping the show's lights on. As as usual, you can check us out in... Check out all the links in the show notes. You can find our schedule, our Patreon, previous episodes, our website, all of our social media accounts in one very convenient location. Yeah, and thank you to our, I, I think I actually missed this from previous weeks, but thank you to our upgraded patron, Barback to Bartender, Dream X Theater 21. We really appreciate it. Glad to to have you get the, the extra content and all those back shows. We're very excited for those. Also to start coming out eventually here in May-ish at this point, I think is kind of the game plan. So... Very excited. If you haven't already, already, again, you can follow us on social media. PJ was PJ said you can find all of our socials. If you want to search for them directly, Words and Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. That'll get you there. If you want to send Words in your Whiskey question Pod. of the week. Sorry, fuck. I fuck it up every time. It's lit, literally written in the document. Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit, as well as Facebook now. Again, Words Whiskey Pod. If you want to send in any comments, feedback, any thoughts or anything like that, feel free to leave us a review on uh, Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. It makes a world of difference. We've got a couple of new ones in and I think we might do a little little review read on the next episode because we've gotten some new ones on on Apple Podcasts. Right. So beyond that, send us any other feedback to Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com and check us out like PJ said at patreon.com forward slash Words and Whiskey. Thank you. Of course, like everybody thank you for your support for listening for subscribing really means the world to us because like we we spend a lot of time on this and it consumes a lot of our life and we love it but we love it because we get to share it with you so looking forward to seeing you next week yeah see you then